Welcome to season four of Business Book Talk. I'm your host, Bob Garlick. This year, we have even more great books to help you excel in business and life. You can search for book topics and themes at businessbooktalk.com or subscribe using your smartphone for great content on the go. Hi, everybody. Bob again, and I've got the decoded company, Know Your Talent Better Than You Know Your Customer. And I've got Liram Siegel here on the line. Now, Liram, you have several other co-writers. We've got Aaron, Jay, and Rehaf. Were you all participating in writing this book? Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, in a uh, uh, very uh, web-driven way, uh, Rahaf is actually based in, uh, in Paris, and uh, uh, both Jay and I are usually on the road. So uh, this was a truly iterative, collaborative project uh, using uh, Google Docs. And uh, thank God for the versioning and the ability to, co- to uh, comment and so on. You know, that it's it's interesting because the, the rise of Google Docs, I, I've had uh, several people saying, oh, you know, we're thinking of getting the new Microsoft because then I can continue to do all my use all my Microsoft uh, software. And I'm saying, yeah, but haven't you transitioned away from that and, and got into Google Docs because it's much better at doing all the things that Microsoft promises it'll do. And I'm quite shocked that not more people are using it. Well, there's a, a great generation of, uh, of tools available on the web, but I'd say that uh, Microsoft's uh, 360 is, uh, is uh, pretty awesome as well. But uh, yeah, Google certainly helped us out with, uh, with this project in many ways, uh, content-wise as well. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about the concept of the decoded company. Why the decoded company? So the Dakota Company is, is really uh, a book about talent-centric workplaces that are executing and evolving faster. And what we've noticed is that there are a whole set of companies that are really rejecting the notion that their people are interchangeable resources. Uh, and in doing so, they're actually eliminating one-size-fits-all solutions in, in every facet of their organization. Now. The, the actual uh, name, the Dakota Company, uh, really tries to, to, to key in on what we think is this huge, huge missed opportunity. And we, we try to provoke people to ask themselves a deceptively simple question, uh, which, would, which is, what would happen if organizations understood their people as well as they understand their customers? And the reason that it's so deceptively simple is that intuitively, we know the answer because as consumers, we have choice. And as consumers, we choose to do business with companies that are doing a really, really good job of understanding us. Um, if you think about the last time you visited Amazon, I guarantee that the uh, merchandising and messaging was a little bit more relevant than the time before. Uh, Facebook curates a newsfeed just for you. Uh, Google and other companies, uh, really it doesn't matter what app it is that you love on your phone, uh, behind it is an organization uh, that probably does a pretty good job of decoding your preferences as an individual and then customizing your experience based on that understanding. And what we think is a missed opportunity is for organizations to apply the same thinking and capabilities uh, and bring that into the workplace to better understand their people and to better personalize their experiences. 
So decoding in the sense that uh, we're talking data mining and usage usage of that data to give a person a better uh, uh, experience online. Exactly. So we, you know, when when you think about uh, uh, when you think about the consumer web, uh, it, it really has evolved uh, 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 tremendously. Uh, take email for example. Uh, in the workplace, it's the ultimate tool to allow other people's to reprioritize your day for you. Um, but in our personal lives, it's been a long time since we use email to organize events or send photo albums uh, because Facebook sold many of these things for us. And our, our, our hope is that we can encourage people to just start thinking about the different mindset with which uh, these consumer applications are being built uh, and bring that same thinking into the workplace. Uh, when was the last time that you drove uh, to Blockbuster and stood there staring at a wall of movies uh, trying to choose what movie to bring home? Uh, it's, it's not just the friction that's been removed from the drive. Uh, it's also the fact that Netflix does a pretty good job of recommending things to you. Uh, and whether you're using Yelp or TripAdvisor or, or any one of the many, many applications uh, that have made our lives easier and save us, save us time as consumers, uh, behind them is a, is a real deep understanding of how to personalize uh, experiences. And, and many of these apps are, are being taken for granted. Um, I guarantee that it's been a long time since you called up a restaurant and wrote down step-by-step directions on how to get to that restaurant because you know that there's an app on your phone and it doesn't matter which mapping app you use, you can just type in the destination and it's going to do a whole bunch of really cool stuff behind the scenes. It's going to understand the context of where you are and where you're trying to go. There will be algorithms on the server to figure out routing. It might figure out some ambient data like traffic patterns, but ultimately to you as a consumer, uh, it just says turn left and you do that. And the third or fourth time you've gone to the restaurant, you probably don't need the mapping application anymore. And what we call that uh, is the, the, what we call that capability is this notion that technology in our personal lives, it's really acting like a coach. And because it's predictive, uh, it is essentially whispering in people's ears and working for them to try to help them make their lives easier and save them time. But then we go into work and technology actually acts much more like this angry referee or an umpire and it's yelling offside after something has happened. Uh, and the reason is that in the workplace, most enterprise technology is business rules driven. And so something needs to happen for that rule to be triggered. Uh, whereas in our consumer lives, that technology uh, is kind of acting like a coach. And part of that is a much easier user experience. Uh, but behind that ease of use, uh, is a real understanding of context uh, and the decoding of our individual preferences so that our experiences can be customized. Do you think it's uh, a lot of companies are worried about, um, uh, I don't want to use the word cyber attack, but basically uh, losing key information to, to people through uh, employees not understanding that, yeah, this is a great app and it's going to help you, but we can't have it as part of our server because we have to lock down our server. Is that a, a fundamental problem still? Uh, well, I don't think um, that any of the, the, the solutions that we're proposing uh, uh, get embraced by workplaces expose any information. That, you know, a lot of these things can happen behind the scenes to make people's lives easier. Uh, the information that we're 
that we're typically recommending we use is is actually corporate public record information. So this isn't um, uh, information that is inherently uh, sensitive. Uh, and at the same time, we we just believe that we're all living in a world that's much more open and transparent than ever before. Um, and you can try to um, uh, uh, reject that reality, uh, or you can embrace it and and create these new capabilities for your for for your team. I'll give you just a simple example. Yeah. In in in, in most organizations, process is this really static thing. And so we have process for everything. We have process for planning and budgeting and for approvals. We have process for change process to communicate the change process. I mean, really, there there is process uh, uh, for almost everything in an organization. And process is just one risk mitigation strategy. Uh, a professionally managed business, when it makes a mistake, it does a postmortem. It figures out we could have caught this here, and then it adds a control. And if it's really well managed, it manages to change and updates process documents and communicates it and trains people and updates orientation materials. And now everybody is forever going to be slower because one nincompoop figured out one way not to do things. And uh, um, a great metaphor, in my, in, in my opinion, for this actually comes from Simon Sinek's book, uh, where in Start With Why, he talked about uh, uh, this, this problem that GM was having, where around the same time that they were losing market share and running into all these quality issues, uh, their number of parts was going up exponentially. And the reason was that when a door didn't quite fit, uh, they added some steps to the process. They added some shims and, and all these additional parts were added uh, because of a more fundamental uh, uh, root problem around quality. And I think that that's really what's happening in most businesses today. Uh, we're using process uh, to, to fix more fundamental problems and it's like this plaque that's clogging organizational arteries. But we have more ab- an abundance of data and new capabilities that aren't actually being brought to bear. So if we continue with the process example, uh, one of the things that, that we propose organizations need to do is understand the experience of the individual. Now, if it's somebody's first time doing something, we call that a teachable moment. Now, this is a time where all that institutional learning really makes sense uh, to, to roll out. So at a teachable moment at, at Click, for example, uh, the first time somebody's doing something, we may give them a buddy. We may also give them a training intervention because this is a time where it's relevant to them and they're going to get the practice and feedback that they actually need to learn. Uh, we may dial up the controls, add some documentation standards, but with every time that they successfully execute that type of work stream, uh, doesn't it make sense for us to relax the process a little bit, to reduce the bureaucracy, uh, and to allow our people to move a little bit faster? Uh, and that's that's really uh, just one example of, of the technology acting as a coach. And what I would say is it's not just process. It's process and meetings and email uh, and so many of the fundamental tools that we use on a day-to-day basis that are constantly interrupting us and haven't really been rethought uh, since all of these new capabilities have emerged. You know, that's fascinating because I, I just finished working with a company and the problem they had is they had a, a COO that was a micromanager and it got to the point where nobody could do anything unless they were constantly updating uh, a to-do list that was a free service online and it was a great tool but it was just being mismanaged by a person that had a lot of power in the company so everybody had to cow down and do it and the team that I was working with they were spending 30% of their time making sure that this place 
that their to-do list was updated on a 50-minute schedule. So this guy could look at it and decide whether he was going to pop by and visit you to make sure that you were actually doing your job. It was crazy. Yeah, so I mean, obviously I can't speak directly to that example, but what I would say is that um, uh, across uh, across industries and, and across uh, various company sizes, what we're seeing uh, is is people getting less and less time in the zone. Uh, or in other words, what we see is the opportunity of being a Dakota company uh, is to give people less interruption and more opportunity to keep the most important thing the most important thing. Uh, deep down, we all know what a great day feels like. We all know what it feels like to be in the zone, at peak and flow, whatever label you want to put on it. Uh, it's doing the work that we inherently uh, enjoy doing. Uh, and what we find is that most organizations aren't as empathetic to their own people uh, as they are to their customers. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that, that's one of the, the key uh, takeaways from our book is really that an opportunity exists to do what most businesses have over the last 20 years done a, a really good job of becoming more customer-centric. Uh, and what we believe is that organization, then we think that's great. And we think that organizations can be customer centric and talent centric. Uh, and that's really uh, uh, the decoded advantage. It's, it's becoming a center of gravity for brilliant people uh, because to attract and retain the best people in the industry, uh, you need to figure out ways to unlock crazy high engagement. And most people, especially the top performers, uh, they're not interested uh, in, in the bureaucracy uh, of management. You know, uh, ma- management as a tool is, is, it really traces its roots. Uh, and this is really borrowing from Gary Hamill. And uh, he's, he's written a tremendous amount about the problem statements that we completely agree with. And what he sort of points to is that, that management as a tool uh, is over 100 years old and, and fairly rickety because it was invented at the turn of the century. Most of the tools that we use today to organize people, uh, how we budget and plan and uh, the process controls and really the tools that we use to communicate and organize with our teams, most of them were built uh, as we changed from an agrarian society to an industrial society. And what he sort of points to is that it was around that same time uh, that the mindset would have been change is slow and data was expensive because computers were actually people doing long division. And so he sort of keys in on the fact that the practices that we invented around that time were all annual in nature, annual planning, annual budgeting, annual performance reviews. And then what we would layer into that is that the tools that we invented at that same time were the, the meeting, the memo, and the process. Now, if you fast forward over 100 years, we've leapfrogged over the industrial age. Today, we're in an information economy. There's no leader alive today that doesn't think that change is rapid. Businesses are massive and complex. Data is cheap. But the practices, well, all we've really done is accelerate the cycle times. Things that were annual might be quarterly or monthly or weekly. Uh, and then the tools, the meeting is still the meeting. The memo is now email. And the process, it's become a little bit more scientific in that we have uh, black belts that can lean it out and lean experts. And sure, we can, we've gotten good tools and good approaches to 
uh, lean out the processes, but we haven't really reconsidered whether all these things that were invented at a time that was just radically different than today, whether they still make sense. Uh, and, and we believe that many of them uh, are due for a reboot. And that's really what we're hoping to shape is, is a movement that starts to reimagine what's possible today, given all of these new tools and capabilities that we've built con- for consumers, given how empathetic most of these computer, uh, consumer technologies ha- are, what can we do to take inspiration from all of these new inven- inventions, and how can we bring them into the workplace uh, to give our people more time in the zone and and allow their talent to better perform. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the book. How should somebody approach this book? Is it a book that you should read cover to cover and then jump back into, or can you just jump to the section that you think is most relevant? Well, what, one of the things that we provided is, is a free assessment tool that allows people to really uh, uh, highlight what it is that they're uh, looking to improve in their organization. And hopefully that can act as a guide in terms of identifying where the biggest opportunity and payoff uh, might, might be uh, for any specific organization. And the other thing that uh, we've really tried to do is make sure that we provide an alphabet of examples from Amazon to Zappos and pretty much every letter in between, but they're across industries uh, and they're also across uh, different levels within the organization because you might say, well, it's great that you want to have this major cultural transformation, but I'm a mid-level manager in a retail organization. How do these ideas apply to us? And so we deliberately uh, went out and, and sought to find uh, organizations that wouldn't inherently be thought of as super progressive uh, so that we can provide examples uh, from those businesses uh, to hopefully inspire people to think differently about their own business. Mm. Yeah, and then going through the book, it's structured very much like a a learning device. Um, You know, you've got uh, end of chapter notes, you've you've got uh, little pull-outs where if somebody wants to skim through, they can just find little nuggets of information. So it's definitely a, a, a book designed to draw somebody in and, and to get them involved for sure. Yeah, and that's, you know, hopefully if there is, uh, is, is one thing that we achieve is getting people to challenge some of the uh, assumptions that they've been blindly following uh, ever since they really started working uh, and start experimenting with these ideas. Uh, the 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 more experimentation and the more experience that people have with with starting to apply this different mo- mindset, uh, the the better the opportunity. Uh, I'll uh, I'll give you a few examples uh, mm. from the book just just so that um, um, we have that as context for for our conversation. Uh, I'll start with Whole Foods because you know Whole Foods is an organization that's really uh, known. Uh, for being, you know, uh, socially conscious uh, organization and 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 an ethical organization, what people don't realize is that as a retailer, it's it's one of the most uh, advanced uh, in data practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the ideas uh, in our book is is that data can really act as a sixth sense, not a primary sense, but 
that if you instrument your organization in the right way so that you can truly understand what's predictive, what we call uh, lead metrics as opposed to lag metrics, uh, then you can put this information in front of your people if you trust them. Uh, And if you do, uh, what that's going to do is it's going to inform their intuition and eventually they'll understand the dominant factors uh, driving their business and make better decisions. And with Whole Foods, one of the things that they do that that, uh, we found really interesting is that every week they make all this data available to all of their store managers that really highlights what's happening in their region so that they can update their merchandising strategies. And then once a month, they actually package the entire universe of Whole Foods data. So this isn't what's happening in your store. This is what's happening in your store and in your region and your country and across the entire Whole Foods universe. And this information includes things that other businesses might call sensitive, like like uh, uh, cost and, and people's uh, uh, payroll data across the entire Whole Foods universe to the extent that the SEC came in a few years ago and said, well, if you're going to disclose this much information to your managers, we're going to consider them all insiders because they, they have an intelligence advantage. And you know what Whole Foods said? Okay, we're going to find a different way to motivate our, our, our people other than stock because the reality is that this intelligence advantage is worth it for us and we do trust our people and it's helping them make better decisions. Mm. Uh, and so that's an example of, of an organization that's actually uh, pretty radically open with, with what it shares with its people. Uh, 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 a different example of, of an organization that, again, you wouldn't think of as, as really a data-driven organization is UPS. Uh, UPS was having problems a few years ago uh, with driver shifts going longer and longer. And as an organization, uh, they were really struggling with this. And now you can put yourself in the shoes of a, of a, of a UPS driver. Maybe it's near the end of your shift. You have an hour and a half before you want to get home to see your kids. Maybe you have 12 packages to deliver. Two of them are high priority. You know there's an accident ahead, but you don't know exactly where. You know that you're going to be measured on mileage. You don't want to get in an accident. And, and you're trying to optimize all of this for maximum customer satisfaction. It's a lot of variables. So UPS thought, brilliant, we're going to uh, build a program called Orion. And Orion is basically uh, 80 pages of math that manifests itself in a heads-up display for the drivers. And you can imagine that when they wanted to roll this out, the drivers basically revolted. They said, you're not going to turn us into robots. We're not going to just follow what this thing says. And UPS did something really smart. They could have said, yes, you will, uh, but they didn't. They said, okay, why don't we do an experiment? Let's, let, let's break up the organization into three, three groups. One group, we're going to roll out Orion, and just for two months, we're asking you to just follow what Orion says, exactly as it suggests. The second group was told, you know what, we're going to roll out Orion, but you can do whatever you want. You're going to have this heads-up display. If you want to follow it, do so. If you don't agree with it, use your judgment. And the third group didn't get Orion. Now, you can imagine that it actually wasn't the group that was uh, just following Orion. It was actually the group that was pairing those analytics with their instincts and experience uh, that was getting the best results. And that really worked out, uh, really worked out incredibly well for them. Uh, today, Orion has really uh, helped them reduce the time so people are get drivers are getting home uh, earlier. They reduced mileage in some places as much as 20 miles per day. You can imagine that's good for profits. It's good for the environment. Uh, and some interesting insights, like 
uh, they realized that almost all of their accidents were happening while they were making left turns. And so they've virtually eliminated all left turns from their fleet uh, and drastically reduced accident rates. So that's just the, an example of how some of these powerful new capabilities are, are being personalized to address very specific business problems uh, that organizations have. And of course, this just inspired UPS to start looking at how could they use this to instrument and put sensors on all of the equipment so that they could do maintenance more preventatively. And they're now really uh, uh, building these predictive analytics into everything that they do. Uh, but it started with this Orion experiment, and, uh, and we think that that's a, uh, an example of the type of uh, inspiring approach to solving the business problem and then rolling it out in a way uh, that gets buy-in from your people. You know, that, that's fascinating because when I was listening to that story, I was thinking about how I use my GPS device. Now, obviously, it's not as sophisticated as something as like Ryan. But, you know, when I'm trying to get my daughter to a church um, because she's got a girl guide meeting or I've got a client meeting in a part, part of town that I'm not aware of, I will rely on my GPS. I'll put the data into my GPS when I get into the vehicle and then I will drive where I know where I'm going to drive. And the GPS says, no, 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 you want to do U-turn here. No, no, I'm going to the left. And it's constantly trying to catch up to me. And then when I get to the part of town I'm not so sure about, then I'll rely on the GPS and it'll get me to that spot. But when I'm coming back, sometimes I'll use the GPS to get out of that section of town I'm not so familiar with, but then I just turn it off and I'm, I'm driving my style. And that sounds more the way humans prefer. They want to get uh, coached. They want to get... Um, given the information as they need it and to disregard all the other coaching and the, all the other information when they think they have a better opinion. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, um, it's interesting to see how different companies uh, uh, approach that, uh, that human side of the interaction between these feedback loops that essentially they can provide and, and actual decisioning. Uh, you know, this is more of an example of, of technology acting as a coach, but at Google, uh, they have an interesting program called uh, Oxygen. And, and Oxygen sort of stemmed from a few years back. They were having some retention problems and engagement issues. And uh, what they did was they rolled out this, this massive program to really understand uh, how, how do we make every manager as good as our best manager? What do our best managers do that others don't? And I remember when I first read the, the study, I remember thinking, really? Like you spent all this money and you've reduced what a, a great manager does to these eight practices? And if you Google uh, uh, Google Project Oxygen, um, you'll see it, it, it's eight practices that on the surface seem uh, fairly obvious. Uh, but what was fascinating was the waiting. Because when when you look at the waiting, it turned out that the thing that they were hiring for, the, the number one thing that they thought they needed in the leader was technical competence and that they really, really needed to, uh, to know the craft. And that turned out to be number eight of eight. And what number one was, was how do they facilitate in times of conflict and how do they deliver uh, coaching and feedback and at what frequency do they do that with their people? Those turned out to be the dominant factors in how engaged people felt. And Google realizing that people don't leave jobs, they leave their managers, immediately started working to build programs to, to help to coach the managers into being better leaders. And it's gotten them, uh, it's gotten them great results. And in hindsight, you know, many of these insights are, 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 are fairly intuitive, 
but it required them to change a lot of things, including their hiring practices, so that they make sure that they prioritize the things that are actually going to be predictive of their continued and, and sustainable uh, uh, competitive advantage. And so that, to me, is great. And, and in Google, they've since actually taken that and applied it to Google EDU, where they're actually trying to figure out not only uh, not only what should they be hiring for and, and coaching their managers on, but also uh, when. When is somebody receptive to a learning intervention? To your point, sometimes you want the feedback and sometimes you don't. And so with Google EDU, they've really been experimenting with, you know, when is somebody receptive to learning? How long should that learning be? And it's been so successful that now they've started a set of experiments to understand how to adapt that learning intervention uh, so that it's delivered in a learning style uh, that it will be most effective with that specific individual. So that's a, a, a lot of personalization in how technology is acting as a coach or how technology is acting uh, as a trainer. Well, I'd like to dig down a little bit on this learning intervention. Uh, I think in the book they have an example of uh, when you get pulled over by a police officer in your car and they said, do you realize you were speeding? That's a learning intervention. How, um, how, what, is that, a, is that an accurate description of, of my perception of what I'm reading in the book? Or is a learning intervention slightly different than that? So, no, uh, 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 learning is, is really... Uh, best delivered at a time where an individual is going to be able to get the practice and feedback that they need uh, in order to truly absorb uh, that learning. And for 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 us, what what we've done is we've tried to really map out what are those teachable moments for everyone and for every type of work stream, uh, and better understand how to deliver it precisely at that moment when it's relevant. Uh, I'll give you an example of how of how uh, people learn in high performance. And, uh, and the example that I'll give you is actually not in the book, but, um, uh, but it's something that we've come across uh, since, and we've come across some great examples that people have sent us in uh, since writing the book, which has been just really encouraging. And one of them is really Formula One racing. And now when people think about Formula One racing, they don't really think about big business, but it actually is really big business, and, and there's a lot of dollars at stake in a race. And if I would ask you what wins a Formula One race, uh, you'd probably say car technology. Uh, it turns out it's not that. They're so regulated, they're, they're almost not differentiated. You might point to pit crew, almost always two seconds. Uh, and you probably will point to driver, which today really is, is the, the dominant factor. Uh, but for a really long time, Ferrari was almost undefeated. And the reason was that they were the first one to build a sensing and actuating center. I'll repeat that again. It's a sensing and actuating center. And most people don't know what that is, but essentially what it is is a nerve center uh, that collects billions of data points in real time during the race. It's got sensors all over the car. Uh, and in real time, it's feeding it to analysts that are looking at what's happening because every team goes in thinking they have the winning strategy, the winning car, the winning driver, and then reality punches them in the face. And on race day, too cold or it's too hot or an accident happened or an oil spill takes place, something happens and they need to change their race strategy in real time. And it turns out that the team that was best able to whisper in the driver's ear and say, you know what, you can actually skip the pit or you can go even harder on the brakes. Uh, it's that difference that made a massive difference. Now, of course, that's the ante and, and everybody needs that. Uh, and that's what happens in, 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 in any high performance uh, achievement. 
In fact, we believe that there is almost no world record that uh, that one has that, that didn't have a, a coach uh, behind it whispering in, in somebody's ear. Now, intuitively, I think most organizations would say, well, of course, we, we'd love to give every one of our people a coach, but that wouldn't be economic and that wouldn't scale. And that's probably true. But the question we have is, well, what role can technology play in kind of acting like that coach and supporting you as an individual and whispering in your ear when uh, when you want the feedback as opposed to uh, yelling offside after something has happened, which is really how most of the tools that are made available to us in the workplace act today. Hmm. You know, that, that is fascinating because I was just imagining that same scenario in a company where you're able to get um, updates from all the different departments saying, oh, by the way, for the trade show or by the way, for this particular presentation or by the way, for this manufacturing process, if you just tweak it just this little tiny bit, maybe it'll help. Now, my question is, as a person in that type of environment, do you have to follow those rules, kind of like the racing door driver has to? Or is it his opinion as the driver say, you know, that's great information, but I'm going to take it easy on the brakes because the so course that's is a great, uh, So that's a great question. Uh, uh, first of all, some of the best drivers don't always follow the feedback. It really is just, uh, uh, I'm going into Formula One right now, uh, it really is just uh, uh, an input to inform the intuition of those drivers. Uh, and it, it, this really uh, brings us nicely into uh, the last key, key idea in the book, which is really that over time we believe uh, that ecosystems prevail over hierarchies. And, uh, and what we believe is that you need to engineer an ecosystem or a culture uh, that's very participatory in nature and it encourages people to actually experiment because that's how uh, an organization uh, improves. Uh, we, you know, we're living in a time where uh, uh, we're more connected than ever before. And if you sort of look at what makes the web so great, it is that it's that uh, meritocracy, if you will, where, where uh, uh, influence is, is earned uh, and it's, uh, it's way less rigid in that it's not, uh, it's not controlled by policy. Uh, which is how most businesses uh, are run, where it's these black and white rules around how uh, thou shalt do something. Uh, and that's really what we encourage leaders to start experimenting with is, uh, you know, bringing in all of these capabilities, uh, but then allowing people to really figure out how to build a stronger community within the organization, how to share best practices, and how to experiment, but truly using the, the scientific method, if you will, in that you have a hypothesis, you try something, and then if it doesn't work, you try it a different way, uh, so that through this creative application of data and technology, uh, every single day, uh, you uh, make your organization uh, stronger uh, and potentially even uh, disrupt your industry. Now, I've got a, a, a tough question here. Do you think that the schools, the universities, the business schools that are basically pumping out thousands of students every year, are these students prepared for this type of change or have they just been beaten down into the old system and then when they join a company, that company has to re-evolve them? Uh, I think that the, uh, the, the there is a, a big mismatch in... Uh, what's possible today uh, and what's being taught in business schools. What's been really encouraging is that uh, in writing this book, 
we expected uh, some feedback from academia that would that would basically push back on some of these ideas because they're uh, in many cases at odds uh, with the practices that are that are being taught in in the various MBA programs. What's been encouraging is that it's been just the opposite. And many, many um, uh, academics and, and highly regarded academics have actually reached out to say, uh, you know, we, we've understood the problem statement for a long time. Uh, the challenge has been that we've seen these uh, consumer companies doing a great job of this, uh, but we didn't have a common language to describe what it was that they were doing differences. And this mental model of trying to turn technology from an angry referee into this supportive coach that's whispering in your ear, it changes everything because it changes how you think about the user experience. It changes how you think about empathy. Uh, it changes how you think about respecting uh, people's uh, focus and and uh, and not subjecting them to the, the level of interruption that our current enterprise technology stack provides. And what we hope is that this sparks uh, many uh, leaders to to go into the workplace and begin by trying to apply some of these principles and take inspiration from things that are maybe not even covered in the book, but that they're seeing working in the work in in the consumer landscape, and bring those ideas into uh, uh, companies that if we, that we believe that if they do that and they follow these progressive practices, uh, they're going to become industry leading companies. Well, it seems to me that maybe what these professors should be doing and the school should be doing is taking this philosophy, this approach, and actually making that the way that they teach the students. Yeah. Well, some schools are doing that. Uh, there's uh, the Singularity University uh, has, uh, has uh, been uh, educating executives primarily, uh, but, uh, but uh, a lot of people have been uh, really learning uh, about what they call exponential companies, which in many ways um, overlap nicely with, with the companies that we've profiled in the book. And, you know, what's unique about many of these companies is that a lot of them grew up in the digital age. Uh, and so their leaders really understood what it was that made some of these applications easier for them to use and and how those applications have evolved and how they're saving their customers' time. Uh, and they're simply applying the same principles uh, into how they lead their organizations and how they enable their people with uh, tools that are more personalized and more empathetic uh, and really take the time to understand the individual as an individual uh, and use that understanding to, to customize everything. You know, earlier on in the conversation, you used the word in the zone, and there have been several books written about the power of uh, concentration, not multitasking, you know, understanding that I'm going to be working on this particular problem for 20 minutes, nobody talked to me. How important is that for organizations to understand? Tremendously. And, um, and we think that that's, uh, that's one of the big missed opportunities. Uh, you know, e- email is a great way to let other people reprioritize your day for you. Uh, it's not only that, it's that it's constantly cleaning us. So it's, it, 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 it's these interruptions uh, at, a, at a time where if we're doing a task that requires our concentration, uh, it may, we may lose context. And so the, the cost of that is, 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 is tremendous. Now, if you believe, like we do, that really when you move your business forward, it's, it's, it's when you're in that zone, in that state of creativity, in that state of creating, when you're actually uh, doing things, uh, then you would have to accept that if you sort of carry that to a logical conclusion, if you could 
double the time that the people have in the zone, uh, you could lack your competition. I don't think many people would disagree with that. The question is, how do you do that? Yes. Uh, and, 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 and that's the right question. And the reality is that uh, many of the, 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 the building blocks of how we communicate need to be reconsidered. Uh, email, uh, in our opinion, is, is one of the biggest culprits. Uh, Henry Ford uh, he said, uh, uh, also coincidentally around the, that turn of the century, he said that if you asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Well, email is the ultimate faster horse. It's a faster way to deliver a memo in the workplace, a letter to your friend. It doesn't rethink the problem of, prior, of prioritization. It doesn't provide you context. Uh, I can send an email to five people, uh, and none of us are accountable because we might each think that the other person is responsible for it. There's no deadline. There's no artifacts. I mean, there's just so much lost. It's not just that it's not a great collaboration tool. Uh, it's, it's that it's not really well organized. And then because of that, uh, it doesn't really understand what I'm currently working on. So it could be that the last thing you received is the most important, but it's highly unlikely. Yet email puts it at the top. So it assumes that the last thing you received is the most important, always. And so that, that's a problem. And that's a problem that's following us home. Uh, and not just home. I mean, the latest research on email shows that it's even following us to the bathroom. Uh, so, you know, if, uh, if, uh, if, if, if there was one thing uh, that, uh, that, uh, that we would highly, highly encourage people to do is, is begin by rethinking this, uh, this fundamental piece of, of communication. And, and there's a tremendous number of, uh, of, of great tools out there. Uh, one of the ones that we've uh, uh, that we highlight in the book is uh, by a company called Asana. Uh, Dr. Moskowitz, one of the co-founders of, of Facebook, actually went off to to basically build these capabilities in the workplace. And they've built a simple tool that allows you to keep um, uh, your tasks organized around your projects and that workflow. And uh, and uh, even, you know, even if you just roll out something like that in a small team environment as an experiment. Uh, it'll give you a better sense for what some of these new tools and capabilities can do for you, uh, and uh, and then you can really think about how to uh, uh, really apply that same thinking to everything you do. Well, you know, it, there's so many tools out there that actually are making the problem even worse. Like there's a wonderful, I use it, called Push Bullet, and basically what it does, if any of my devices get any information, it'll automatically put it on all my screens. So uh, when I'm on my big screen, I'll get somebody just sent you an SAS message, somebody just posted you on Facebook, and it's instantaneous. And then later on, I'll get an email from Facebook saying, oh, by the way, this person has communicated with you. Well, I've known about that for five or 10 minutes. So shouldn't they have an app out there called I'm in the zone? And basically what it does is it automatically pings back to anybody saying, uh, Bob's in the zone, please try SMSing him in 15 minutes. Yeah, so there's, there's a, a range of companies that are uh, starting to build uh, similar types of products. Uh, one of the things to realize in the workplace is it's not just your uh, – uh, digital screens. It's also your physical environment. And uh, there's a company that we feature out of Waterloo that uh, uh, has this device that uh, basically changes color uh, depending on the level of focus that you require for your task. So if it's red, it means don't don't stop by and, and don't interrupt me. Uh, we suggest a whole bunch of apps like Free Time that you're probably familiar with that uh, basically uh, disconnect uh, the, uh, the internet access so that you can uh, 
uh, really focus on that. Uh, but it brings about uh, a you know a bigger question, which is how do you even understand the problem? And we suggest uh, uh, to, to anybody that wants to start thinking about this to to download tools like uh, there's Rescue Time and many others that will allow you to better understand how you're spending your time. And even just giving yourself that feedback loop about how frequently you're switching context uh, and how you're prioritizing your time, uh, we believe that that's, you know, that's a great way to, to start uh, helping people understand what's possible now. And the entire quantified self movement from the wearables that can give you feedback loops, uh, they're all in many ways uh, trying to inform the intuition of people uh, and helping them to 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 make better decisions. And uh, our hope is that people begin to experiment more uh, and 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 start to uh, really use these types of capabilities to uh, help uh, to help them uh, remove some of these blind spots that they may have around how they're spending their time and uh, and where they should be spending their time. So for people who want to know more about this, uh more, not just the book, but if they even if they've read the book, where else can they go to continue learning and, and tweaking their education? Sure. So um, one of the things that uh, we highly encourage you to do is go to the Dakota Company website. We have some tools and and blogs in there. Uh, there are there are some things free uh, tools that they can download, but there's also links to other companies, uh, and we're trying to keep that uh, up to date. Uh, and uh, and then. Uh, Throughout the book, what we've done is is really highlight uh, what other uh, organizations are are trying to better understand this problem and are doing interesting things. Uh, one that we really like is uh, is NACE, it's the Management Innovation Exchange, and uh, what they do is they really uh, uh, set up these bold challenges and and they solicit cases so that you could actually uh, search those cases based on. Uh, specific challenges, like I, I want to better unleash uh, human potential. I want to reduce bureaucracy. Um, I want to get people to think more exponentially as opposed to incrementally. Uh, so each one of those are submissions, and uh, and then the community itself rates these uh, examples, and uh, and we think that that's a great resource for anybody that's uh, looking to get inspiration from what other companies in their industry are already doing, uh, and there's just a wealth of ideas uh, uh, that exist on, on those sites for progressive leaders. Hmm. Now, for our listening audience, what was one? What is one thing that they can do right now, today, to make uh, to start their their path to become a decoded company? Sure. Uh, two things. I would go to our website and take the assessment to understand where the biggest payoff would be, uh, and uh, and download the meeting later tool. Uh, you can very, very quickly uh, invite uh, the mediator to some of your meetings. It will ask uh, people before the meeting to pay attention to how you're running the meeting, whether or not it was clear whether that meeting is to make a decision or uh, to come out informed, uh, the facilitation skills. And then immediately after the meeting is over, uh, they'll be paid, asked to uh, rate you. And then you'll get that feedback loop on, on how you're running your meetings. And uh, meetings is just one of those opportunities where almost every organization uh, agrees that most of the meetings could be run better. So that's a, that's a great place to start. Well, that's an awesome tip. You know, it reminds me a lot of meetup.com. You know, you get invited to the event, you're told about the event, you're told what's going on at the event, you're told where the event is, you go to the event, when you come back, it says, please rate this event. 
So it, it sounds very similar. Thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, I really look forward to uh, researching and finding out more about the Decoded Company. Thanks so much, Bob. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, leave comments, or make a request on our website, businessbooktalk.com. See you next week. Thank you.